I'm going to be reading from John 12, verse 1 through 11. You can follow along in your bulletins if you wish. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of God. Thank you, Angela, for leading us in prayer and reading as well. We are uh, once again uh, in this series on encounters with Jesus, and we've been looking at this for a number of weeks together, and uh, last week we, we saw this encounter Jesus had with Mary and with Martha and with Lazarus, and particularly uh, with Lazarus as, as God raised Lazarus from the dead, and uh, we saw uh, how God or how Jesus uh, ministered to Mary and Martha differently with respect to Ma Martha. He, uh, he spoke truth into her life to stop the flow of despair in her heart. And with Jesus, or sorry, with Mary, he, he showed compassion. He, he ministered tears in her life when he came alongside her and experienced the same suffering and pain that she experienced. Now we're fast forwarding to uh, John chapter 12, where Jesus is once again in Bethany, in the town where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, and he's at a different house. He's at the house of Simon the leper, and he's, uh, it, sounds, it sounds a little, is it uh, echoey, or is it fine? I feel like I sound loud. Do I sound too loud to you people? Yeah, maybe turn me down a little bit. Um, he's at the house of Simon the leper, and he's at a dinner that's been held in his honor. This is a, a celebration dinner, okay, because uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're very pleased and thankful that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and they thought, hey, let's hold a party and a celebration in honor of Jesus on this very special occasion. And of course, Jerusalem is packed full because this is Passover week. We're only six days away from the Passover now. 
and uh, it was wise of Jesus to stay in Bethany because it'd probably be pretty pretty hard for him to find a place in Jerusalem in the first place. So the scene is there's at least 17 people at this dinner, and it's a microcosm, actually, of all those who have been touched by Jesus had Jesus touched their lives in some way. And it, and it shows us the responses. So you have Simon the leper there. You have Martha. Of course, she's in charge and she's running the show like Martha is wont to do, make, uh, making sure everything's working in this dinner. Lazarus is there reclining at the table with Jesus along with the disciples. And of course, Mary is there as well. And each and every one of these people who's at this party has had some kind of encounter with Jesus over the course of their life. And they all respond to him in a certain way. The question becomes, what is the proper response to Jesus? If, he, if you've had an encounter with him, a true and meaningful encounter with Jesus, if you've really met him, how should you respond? And Mary gives us a picture in this story of what a proper response to Jesus looks like. So we're going to go through this together and see how Mary's response is, is humble, is vulnerable, is unconditional, and devotional. Those are the four things that we're going to see about Mary's response in this story this morning. First of all, Mary's response is humble. And I mean her response is humble in the best biblical sense of the word. You see, Probably the best definition of humility that I've heard comes from C.S. Lewis. He said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Catch the difference? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not like some kind of quasi-form of low self-esteem. It's actually a, 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 it's self-forgetfulness. So here's this scene, this party is happening, and Martha is serving. And by the way, uh, what we see here is uh, Martha who's been transformed by her, her uh, encounter with Jesus as well, because the last time Martha was in charge of a party in Jesus' honor, you saw that she, you know, she was very cranky, and she was very grumpy. You can read about this in the gospel according to Luke. She, she's uh, out there serving and Mary is uh, sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. And at one point, Martha comes in and she's like all upset. And she's like, Jesus, would you tell Mary to get off her duff and help me, please? I got a lot of stuff going on here and she's doing nothing. But here she is serving and we hear nothing about that because Martha has been transformed by her relationship with Jesus as well. She's got her priorities straight. And probably there's an interesting conversation going on. You know, you got Simon the leper sitting at the table, and you got Lazarus sitting at the table, and Simon is saying, you know, I tell you, man, when I met Jesus, I was a leper. Half my nose was missing. I was missing an ear. I was covered in white and all these sores, and I had stubs for, for fingers. I don't know if you've ever seen a leper, but that happens to lepers because they lose the ability to feel pain in their nerve endings, and so they, they damage themselves constantly without knowing it, and they actually break off body parts, and it's very, very disgusting. And, and Simon the leper is sitting there going, you know, this is what I was like, and then I met Jesus, and he healed me, and look at me. My nose, it's all here, and here's my fingers, and here's my ears, and it's awesome. And Lazarus leans back and says, that's nothing, man. Four days, dead, decomposing, 
rotting in a tomb. My body starting to be eaten up by bacteria. And Jesus called my name and he raised me from the dead. So here's that scene. You've got these guys fighting over who's had a more uh, uh, amazing experience with Jesus. And Martha or Mary slips out of the room. And she quietly comes back with this alabaster jar that Mark says was in this very beautiful box of this expensive perfume called nard. And in fact, it was pure nard. And I'm not going to tell you all about how it got made and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty interesting. But all you need to know is, is that this stuff is uber, uber expensive. And it says that she breaks this bottle open. And she pours it all over Jesus' feet. And then she dries she, she, she dries his feet with her hair. She takes down her hair, so her hair was, would have been all tied up, and she takes it down, and she uses her hair to dry his feet. Now, there's all kinds of notable stuff here that we're going to unpack, but the first point is this. In what she did, Mary is saying, I don't care what anybody thinks. To Jesus, she's saying, I know who you are, and I know something of what you're going to do for me, and I love you. I believe in you. I have devoted myself to you. You deserve all my praise, all my honor, all my devotion. She has forgotten herself, and she has focused entirely on Jesus, as if to say, there is no act of devotion that is beneath my dignity. There is nothing that you could ever ask me to do that is below my willingness to do it because of who you are. You are worthy of any act of devotion done to prove my love and commitment to you. That's what she's doing. And she's lost herself, you see. You see, she, she let her hair down in public. This is a big deal. This is a big deal in Mid Middle Eastern cultures in particular. This isn't just an, an, an Islamic thing. This is a Middle Eastern thing. When a woman only would only ever let her hair down in private when she was with the people closest to her. In any other context, it would be considered shameful for you to do that. And for Mary, who probably had a, quite a high social standing, this would have been a very risky thing for her to do. There's another story of a woman wiping Jesus' uh, feet with her hair. You maybe remember the story in Luke chapter 7 where this woman of ill repute comes in to a, another dinner and she starts weeping over Jesus' feet and then she wipes up Jesus, the tears with her hair. Well, that woman was a prostitute in all likelihood. And so she didn't have much of a reputation to worry about in the first place. But Mary is different. Mary was probably a, 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 an upper-class person in her culture and, and, and had high social standing in her society. And so when she puts her hair down to do this, she is at risk of destroying her reputation. And for her to wipe Jesus' feet in Middle Eastern cultures was also considered an incredibly lowly thing to do. Don't forget, this is before sanitation, right? Modern sanitation. So you know where people put their business? They just dumped it in the street. You know where animals put their business? Just wherever they were doing their business, right? 
And they didn't have laws about walking your dog, and you know when your dog does his business, you're supposed to clean up for after them. They didn't have those kinds of laws back then. And so people lived in this arid, dry country where they wore sandals all the time, and feet stank, okay? They stank bad, and they had caked on gunk, the kind of gunk that you can only imagine. And Jesus is sitting there reclining at the table, meaning he would have sat with probably an elbow on the table or something, and his feet would have been away from the table because everybody's feet were gross, And Mary comes in and she actually sticks her face right by those feet to mop up this perfume. This was such a disgusting act, okay, that Jews were not allowed to make their slaves that were Jewish wash their feet. But Mary doesn't care. Mary doesn't care. She has completely forgotten herself because she is so in love with her Savior. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had that? Have you ever lost yourself because you're so enamored by the one you love? Like, we love this idea, don't we? Don't we love this idea? Um, The idea of being enraptured by the person that we are so utterly in love with. You know those uh, rom-com movies, romantic comedies? Some people really like those romantic comedies. I have not watched many, but I do. the, The plot is usually along the lines of two people who don't like one another, they discover something about each other, and they're sort of drawn together, but there's all these obstacles that they have to overcome in order for them to fall in love and live happily ever after. But the best part is always somewhere, probably three-quarters to four-fifths the way through the movie, the guy, usually it's the guy, and it's not always the guy, but usually it's the guy, because the guy's usually the dummy, right, who doesn't under, he does all things, everything wrong, And then he's got all these things to fix. At some point, he does something drastic, something remarkable, something insane, where, you know, he ends up in the middle of the street with the rain pouring down, and she's in her house, and he's yelling, not Stella, but he's yelling like, Mary, I love you, and I don't care who knows it. And she runs to her window and she sees him there and she can't believe he's there and, and all the lights turn on in the, in the, in the uh, subdivision and people are coming outside going, what's going on out there? And he's acting like a complete idiot, but he doesn't care. Why? Because he's so in love. He's so in love. He's so in love that he has lost himself. All sense of propriety is gone He let his hair down, you know? Has there ever been a sense in which you, you have let your hair down for Jesus? Where you, where you know, like the, the, the great hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, says you were lost in wonder, love, and praise? A proper response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us is some measure of, of humility, of self-forgetfulness. And, I, you know, I, I push you toward this, and, and some of you have had this experience many times. Some of you live out of this experience, this sense, very often. You're that kind of person. 
And, and many of us, however, we, 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 we get into that. Sometimes it's in worship, right? You see some people who are, who are all of a sudden, they're raising their hands, their eyes are closed, they forgot who they are, and all they're focused on is Jesus. And others of us uh, maybe are a little more reserved, and, and so even in a worship service, that doesn't happen too much. Too much. I'm not saying that you, you don't love Jesus if you haven't had this extreme emotional experience, but what I am saying is, is to, to have a proper response to Christ means that your life begins to be conformed more and more to focusing on Him rather than focusing on you. Where your agenda and meeting your needs and making sure you get your goods is less important to you and seeing Him exalted and finding out people are discovering Him more and more and experiencing His grace and His love in their lives more and more, that's what really turns your crank. That's humility. It's worrying less about yourself. That's the first thing. Second thing is G Mary's response was vulnerable. You know, this is, this is one of the implications of Jesus letting her hair down. You let your hair down in that context where you are most at home, you know, where you feel most safe, where you feel like you are in a comfortable atmosphere. It's, it's an act of intimacy to let your hair down. We even have that saying, eh? Like, you know, when, oh, it was great to, to kick back and let my hair down. The idea is, is that you can relax and be yourself. You, you don't have to put on airs. You, you just open yourself up and, and you're not worried, excuse me, about impressing, your, uh, impressing anyone. You're not worried about embarrassing yourself in front of other people, Right? And for Mary, she understands that Jesus knows all of her. He knows all about her. He knows every single detail about her inner life, about what she believes, about what's in her heart, about what the things she's thinking about, what, what matters to her, what her fears are, what her joys are, what her dreams are, what her hopes are. He knows all that about her. She's a complete open book to him. And there's no shame. There's no shame. He sees all of her and he accepts all of her and she is willing to give all of herself to him. This is, this is not sexual, but it is, in a sense, intimate and romantic. There's a tender passion here in that Mary, she gives her heart to Christ because it is safe for her to give her heart to Jesus. You know, so often, so often we, we know in our head that Jesus knows everything about us, and yet uh, we live and we behave like he, or we act like he doesn't know everything about us. So we don't give our entire selves to him. There are certain parts of our lives that maybe we hold back or we try to hide and we don't want to admit these things about our lives. Or we say to God, you can have this part of my life, but you can't have this part of my life. Maybe there's a, an area of, of sin or a, a, an area of struggle that you don't want to hand over to Jesus. And you act like he doesn't know. You know? Maybe I'm the only one who does that. 
I act like he doesn't know, as if to say, you know, if I can keep this away from you, then you'll think that I'm giving all of myself to you. But the reality is, is that he knows absolutely everything about you, so you might as well fess up and stop pretending and just plunk it there in front of him. Look at how remarkably gracious he is. Remember, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He is a bruised reed. He will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, no matter how hurt you are, no matter how damaged you are, no matter how broken you are and how, how you fragile you feel, you can trust that if you give your entire self to Jesus Christ, he will not crush you. Never. He will cradle that fragile heart in his hands. And he will love you in a way that you have never experienced before. But you've got to respond with that vulnerability. But there's more. Let's move on. Third thing, Mary's response was unconditional. You know, this jar of nard, of spike nard, of pure nard that uh, she broke, it equaled probably around a, a year's wage. 300 denarii was close to a year's wage. And so it was likely the most valuable possession that Lazarus, Martha, and Mary had. It was unlikely that this was just Mary's thing. There's actually a good chance uh, that it was some kind of family heirloom, okay, that had been passed down from generation to generation. And probably it was also a, a hedge against financial disaster. So you have this, it's like an investment, right? So if there's if there was a famine in the land or something like that, then they could potentially sell this thing for a year's wage and be able to live off the profits for a period of time in order to weather economic downturn. So this is a big deal. And so this was a very special thing. And, and it was not actually uncommon for people to put a bit of perfume on their guests when they came in their house. Again, we'll go back to the, you know, they didn't have the same kind of sanitation that we had, you know, if you took a bath once a year, that was pretty often, right? They didn't have deodorant like we do, that kind of thing. People were stinky is what I'm trying to tell you. And so when you bring them all into a house, you put, what you would do is, is as they entered the room, you'd take a bit of perfume and you'd, you'd put it on their forehead. And, and that way, you know, it would kind of mask the body odor that was going on in this this space. And so when Jesus enters the house and Mary has come out with this spike nard, with this pure nard, people are thinking, oh, what a beautiful thing that, that, that Mary would honor Jesus with a few drops of this very, very precious perfume. This is the good stuff, right? And then she does the absolute unthinkable and she busts the bottle open. And we know she busts the bottle open because that's the only way you could get all of it out. These things were designed in such a way that when you tip them over, you've got one little drop, right? You've seen these things before, right? You know, you tip it over and one drop falls out and then you go like this and then you got to go like this to get another drop. She's not just going, it's not salad dressing, right? She's not going, so she busts it open and she dumps it all over Jesus. Matthew and Mark both say that she dumped it on Jesus' head because they're trying to show, emphasize um, his kingship, but John says that she dumped it on his feet to emphasize Mary's devotion to him. The point is this, she, she held nothing back. 
She gave it all. Her, her devotion, her response was absolutely unconditional. This isn't 10% of her, her, her earnings she gives to Jesus. This is 80 or 90%. And what she's saying is, is that you deserve not just everything I am, but you deserve everything I have. Not only is everything I ha- am yours, but everything I have is yours. And this is why Judas responds the way he responds. Now, John tells us the motivation behind the response, but the response itself, do you not get it? I got it when I read it. When I, when I learned about just how expensive all this Spike Nard stuff is and what it meant for their family and stuff like that, I totally understood. Could, you know, when you, when you start having kids that start dating, they start wanting to spend money on their dates. And you're always, like as a parent, you're always like, whoa, just slow down, Right? I haven't given your mother something that good in like a decade, you know? So now imagine, imagine, just imagine, can you imagine, let me ask you, can you imagine spending a year's worth of your salary, whether you make 30 grand or 60 grand or 130 grand, a year's worth of your salary on a birthday present for someone? stupid, right? But in Jesus' kingdom, you get a different set of accounting practices. You get the accounting practices of the king, kingdom of God. And Jesus describes those accounting practices in Matthew chapter 13. There's just a really short parable, the parable of the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. That's why Jesus is not surprised. You know, Jesus, Jesus is sitting there and he's like, this totally makes sense. Leave her alone. This makes complete sense. This is actually the only reasonable response to who I am. And what Mary is demonstrating and what she's understanding is that anything you and I give up for Jesus is nothing compared to the love you get from him. Anything you and I could give up for Jesus is nothing compared to the love you could get from him. That's a tweetable one right there, eh? You could tweet that sucker. When I thought of it, I thought, I'm going to tell them to tweet it. It's a profoundly remarkable truth. Anything that you could give up for Jesus is nothing compared to the love that you get from him. That's the point. And that's what Mary's demonstrating when she busts open this beautiful perfume bottle and just starts dumping it all over Jesus' feet. And you know, that fragrance began to, to spread and then she, she wiped it with her hair and now that fragrance is in her hair and as she gets up, it moves through all the house. It says that in the, in the passage. The fragrance of her devotion to Jesus began to fill that entire home with its beautiful aroma. Now, last thing. How, how can this be? Like when I compare my own relationship to Jesus with Mary's, I got to say, like, I am not there, man. Like, 
Most of the time I'm not there. Sometimes I feel like I'm there, but oftentimes I feel like I'm a long way from there. The, the passion and the, the unconditional commitment. What kind of person would I be if I was actually like that? How did Mary end up like that? And this is the last point. Mary's response was devotional. And this is the key to the right response, to a right response with Jesus. And without all, without this response, all the others will not happen. So if you have been sort of fading out over the last few minutes and kind of starting to think about lunch or, you know, March Madness, what's happening, that kind of thing, come back for this at least, okay? In verse 7, Jesus says this, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Uh, the NIV translates this, in, I think, in a way that maybe helps you understand it a little better. He writes, there it says, Jesus says, it is intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. In other words, Jesus is telling everybody in that room, Mary gets that I am going to die. She understands something nobody else yet understands. He's been telling people, it's not like, like he hasn't had an opportunity, yet they don't have the opportunity. He's been saying over and over again, I am going to die. That's what I came here to do. And everybody, for some reason, they just don't get it. But Mary gets it. Why does Mary get it? Well, she, if, if you read the story of the Gospels, Mary, whenever she pops up, she's the person who's sitting at Jesus' feet, Right? She's the one who's actually sitting there listening to him. She's the one who's submitting herself to his teaching and to his wisdom and, and pondering it and meditating on it and bringing it into her. And here she's saying, I may not understand all of it, but I at least get enough. Jesus is going to die and he's going to die for me. She understands that much at least. She gets that much down. She says, I see you dying for me. I see you dying in my place. And I'm not exactly sure why or how it, how it all works. But I do see your act of sacrificial love for me. And it, she is completely smitten by it. She is overwhelmed by it. And it's this meditation on the death of Jesus in her place that leads her to offer her entire self and all that she has to her Savior. This is where her self-forgetfulness comes from. She's looking at the cross and she's lost in wonder, love, and praise. I say this all the time to people. Well, I don't know if I say it all the time to people, but listen, if you don't, if you don't understand that you are a sinner in need of someone to pay the penalty for your sin, the entire Christian story will make no sense to you. It will make no sense to you. Because the entire Christian faith is about you seeing a sinless Jesus coming into this world and being touched by the evil of it to die on a cross and pay the punishment for your sin. And if you don't get that he had to do that for you, not just for the sins of the world sort of generally and vaguely, and not just for the sins of the really bad people who do really bad stuff, you know, they commit war crimes or they're pedophiles or something like that, but you who sit, who live day to day just quietly judging your neighbor who's not quite as careful with their lawn as you are or quietly kind of looking down on your classmates who don't work in group work as much as they should the way you do and the, just kind of having that sort of low-grade, piet pietistic sort of judgmentalism. 
Not seeing that that was enough to condemn you to hell itself. If you don't get that, you will never, ever, ever be able to respond to Jesus the way Mary does. You may follow God. You may obey God. You may do all the things that God wants to please Him, but you won't be doing it for the right reasons. And that's ultimately what matters. It's the motivation of the heart. Some people... They do all the right things, they come to church, they give lots of money, they serve on committees, they work, 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 work. They do it kind of out of nostalgia, frankly. They were raised in a Christian home, they had Christian parents, and they become adults and they go, you know, it just feels weird not to get up and go to church on Sunday. So I guess I should go to church on Sunday. It feels weird not to be involved in Christian stuff, so I should get involved in Christian stuff. And sometimes people do all these things simply because out, out of guilt, they're trying to prove to themselves, they're trying to prove to God that they are a good person. Or they're bargaining. They're thinking, if I get, if I do all these things, well, then God will do this for me. I'm hoping to get that girl to date me. And if I'm a really good person and I try to do all these things for God, God will make that girl notice me and then I'll date her. Or I'll get that job. Or I'll have children. Or I'll finally be able to buy that house. Whatever. But if your motivation is any one of those things, it will ultimately crush you. Listen, if you're coming, if you're, if you're meeting with God out of nostalgia, eventually you'll get bored. You'll get bored of it. And you'll find that your life isn't all that much worse without it. That's why when kids go off to university, sometimes they never set foot in a church, they never, they kind of wander away from the faith, because frankly, they come to discover that they can do pretty okay without it. Or if you do it out of guilt, you'll just never, ever, ever feel good enough, and then you'll finally give up and say, fine, I can't do it anymore. And when God doesn't give you what you want, the bargaining approach will just turn you bitter, bitter. You've got to see him forgiving all your sin. You've got to see that dying Savior on the cross doing it for love, for love of you, not just for the love of your parents, not for the love of your community, not for the love of humanity, but for the love of you. That's what Lent is about. That's why we've been going through these encounters. You've got to go to the cross and see him, your Savior. Let's pray. Father, teach us to respond to Jesus as Mary did. May we, may we be humble, may we be vulnerable, may we be uh, unconditional, and may we be devotional. As we make our way to Good Friday in a, a few weeks, Father, we pray that we will embrace the wonderful, wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, may we, may we live out of the words of that hymn that we just sung a little bit ago where it says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.